family you are listening to concrete pastures i am nancy being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life it inspired me to create a platform to reach out to my fellow immigrants and dreamers the goal is to provide a space for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status we discuss issues that are important to us in the diaspora we celebrate the joys the laughs the bravery that being an immigrant bring on this episode is actually an episode i recorded on culture class podcast with nosa iari who's been on the show this was recorded last year july 2022 before we get into it i wanted to take a minute just to wrap up season two i didn't get a chance to if you haven't listened to our last episode coco ramazani's episode please do and uh, we also have it on youtube you can watch it continue to share it let's continue to give a voice to the voiceless Oof. i want to thank all of our amazing guests for touching our hearts for inspiring us with their stories and thank you for making us laugh shifting our minds and sometimes for making us cry oh my god you stretched me so in so many ways i can't even comprehend right now to even put it into words i i can't but i'm grateful for you listening every week for you watching on our YouTube channel on our app I am so grateful for your support thank you for finding value in what we are doing thank you for finding value in our conversations season 3 starts next week with yours truly I'm super excited our guests line up oh my god I can't wait for you to hear the stories and uh yeah We are here to bring you subject matters that matter to us in the diaspora. I can't wait for you to hear the episodes, the stories. Oh, yes. Enjoy this episode and I'll see you in season 3. in a while okay <laughs> i just come on, when you talk so you don't even say good morning to people you I just straight to business no, i have I to recorded. check you all the time oh man no I, i was literally unpacking my equipment because like i packed them like from pod break in chicago like they're exactly in the same <laughs> format i had some episodes in the bank that i've been posting but it's like the first episode i'm actually recording in maybe a month or something but oh my god um, 
Yeah, I mean, welcome to another edition of the Culture Class Podcast, a podcast where we get to interact with people from different backgrounds and get to learn about other cultures. Uh, my name is Nosa Yari, and I'm your host today. Today, I have a sister. Uh, I think I can I can call her a sister at this point. Um, Nancy came into my life, uh, you know, a little over a month ago, maybe a, a month or two months ago. And it's been very interesting so far. Uh, Nancy is a podcaster. Uh, she's a banker. Nancy is from Zambia, and she's living in New York. Uh, so we're going to discuss that whole dynamic about being an African in America, an African in New York, that type of thing. But before we do that, like, how was your weekend, Nancy? How's it going? Oh, it was so good. Yesterday, I intentionally took a break from everything. No social media no nothing. I just took the kids to the beach. It was so beautiful. And it was like a perfect day for a beach day. Whenever I hear someone mention beach, I get so jealous because that's the one thing Colorado doesn't have, a beach. <laughs> Colorado is pretty much a, a landlocked state. <laughs> like we have all the mountains. We have good lakes, I guess. You know, we have large lakes, but we don't have like actual beaches. So that's one thing that I guess I miss from living on the East Coast. Not like I go to the beach every day, but just knowing it's there and you can go. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, up there. Yeah, but, um, no, it, it, it's warm now. It's summertime and it's, it's just beautiful. When you have kids, I don't, maybe I wouldn't care for it too much if I was just by myself. With kids, it's more fun. They, they, they give me my younger vision of me. I live through them. So going nice. to the beach is like so much fun and seeing them, you know, act their age is just beautiful. Nice, nice. And I mean, speaking of a younger version of you, maybe we can just jump into the interview. Like, um, maybe we can address this, like being an African in Africa, if that makes sense. Um, this is predating you coming to the U.S., right? So you are Zambian. Tell me a little bit about what it was like for you, like growing up in Zambia. Did, did you go to the beaches a lot? How was it like living as an African in Africa? So I share the the thing with you with uh, Colorado. We are a landlocked country. Ah. <laughs> so there's no beach, nothing. But when I was younger, um, we have, during our rainy season, it starts around um, December, like towards the end of December, January, February, March, April, it ends. Uh, we have our our plains, which is like flatlands, and when it rains, it like floods up. You literally have to use the boat, a canoe, to go by. So when oh, wow. the everyone does were, this, um, this is like in Western Province. That's where mm. I used to live in Mongu, and um, it's different areas of the country where they have this. So, but in Mongu, we have this, and every rainy season, it floods up. And um, would go to the water. We'll go swimming. Um, I felt comfortable to go um, swimming. I don't know how to swim still, but I felt comfortable going in the water because this water didn't have like crocodiles or anything that I needed to be scared of. Wait, 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 men... wait, 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 wait. So typically, like <laughs> most <laughs> streams out there, like had crocs and stuff. The biggest river that we have is the Zambezi River falls into our Victoria Falls. So the Zambezi River has everything. Talk about crocodiles, uh, hippos, they are in there. So you could swim at your own risk. 
Right. But I'm sure there's a part of the river where the crocodiles knew that over time that was a human's portion and another part where yes. it was like the crocodile portion or something. But still, they it doesn't mean that they stay away. So you uh, go I see. Once risk. in a while, they come get a snack or something. Yes. So <laughs> a lot of people die. You know, you, you become a snack for them. And it depends, like, what season uh, also. Like, are they... They, they eat flesh. So if they are starving, you become their dinner or breakfast. Their dinner. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned the Zambezi reason. It just reminds me of like this thing we used to sing in, 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 in primary school back home. It was like, rivers of Africa, Nile, Nanja, <laughs> Congo, Orange, Oripopo, Zambezi. Like Zambezi was always Oh, like, no. Yeah, it was like That's the largest cool. rivers in Africa. That was like our way of memorizing it. And that was kind of like also our way of like knowing other countries in Africa. So the teacher will ask you, okay, where is the Nile? Where is the Ninja? Where is, uh, you know, Orange? Where is, uh, you know, oh, Zambezi? Wow. That type of thing. And, you know, where, like what countries that. do they pass through? That type of thing. So it's pretty interesting getting to meet someone who actually swam in the Zambezi River and, you know, Victoria Falls, I, you hear about the Devil's Pool and all okay. that. So. Let's start to say swam. <laughs> okay, you, you, you puddled. You <laughs> <laughs> I literally would put my feet in. Got and it. Just, well, I, I, I'm, I'm a scary cat. I, I, I love my life, you know. Okay, let me ask you this question. If you could learn one of these skills um, before, you know, in your lifetime, um, swimming in a river or swimming in general, being able to drive a train since you're in New York, let's put that one there, or being able to perform in front of 10,000 people, which of those would you rather have? Mm. I like to perform in front oh, of 10,000 people. <laughs> yes, I like to perform. Is that something that came naturally to you? Because I was listening to a no. podcast you were on and you were talking about yourself dancing in circles every night when you were younger in the Zambia with your... So was that something that, oh, being a performer and you were also an athlete in school, like just being able to you know perform in front of people, was that something that came naturally to you as a kid? To be honest with you, I like things that scare me. I love things that scare me. So... I think performing in front of 10,000 people, that will give me so much anxiety, but I'll also go for it because I love challenges. Being an athlete, I think it's just that way in your life. It just becomes like, okay, no matter what it is, you just go for it, even though it scares the hell out of you. <laughs> right, right, right. That's, yeah, that's so, interesting you say that. Like you, you love things that scare you. I mean, I mean, living in New York, you must be close, right? Like you must be performing in front of at least a thousand people every day when you walk on the streets of New York. But I guess it's not sure, the same as a sure, platform, right? Sure. So, like, if I had to choose, I would choose uh, performing and also uh, being a podcaster scares me. That. A whole lot. You've been listened to. You know it already. We've been listened to all over the world. Mm -hmm. Your voice is being heard. Mm -hmm. You know how powerful that is? And it scares me because what I say matters and it's impacting somebody in some way. And then I have to be careful with what mm. I say. And uh, that scares me. So as long as I'm scared, I'll continue to do it. Once I start being scared, then I'll be like, ah, I'm done. <laughs> What's your biggest 
fear right now, if you could share? Uh, my biggest fear, huh? I don't know, really, like my biggest fear. I have anxiety with social media. Mm. I've never been a social media person. I love my private life, but I went through a separation and a lot of my family members were asking me to uh, create an account. So before Concrete Pastures, I was just in my own little bubble. And because of the job that I do, I like to be private. I don't want to say things that might, you know, come off wrong. You know, when you type compared to talking, it's very different. And um, they asked me, like, no, you should create blah, blah, blah. So I made a private social media account. Still, I rarely post. So one of my friends, my best friend actually told me, he's like, why don't you just do like, you know, stories? This way it just disappears if you're scared to just post your stuff. I'm like, okay. So I started with that. But aside from that, once Concrete Pestures came around, the fact that I had to create two accounts, uh, Facebook and Instagram, it was just a whole lot. Like me thinking, how am I going to manage the two? I have two little kids. That, I think that's what scares me a lot, like managing that. But I have somebody who manages Concrete, concrete, concrete Pastures yeah. for me. But it's just, it's still a lot because I have to approve things. But the trust that we have for one another, I can close my eyes and just go like, nice. do, you, do your thing. Um, so I'm getting over that. I'm, that's what I'm working on, actually. I'm working over, like, don't overthink, don't right. stress over things that you have no control. People are always going to do whatever they want. I have no exactly. control over what people think and, you know, yeah. You know, that's what interesting for you, of you to say, um, you know, Somewhere, somewhere, a Gen Z is listening to this episode and Alon's like, what? (laughs) I totally understand. Like, I've trended for the wrong reasons on Twitter before. and That wasn't fun. Like, I'm not going to say why. I don't want to get that trend up and going again. Maybe I'll even edit this part out of the episode. Well, it was a very interesting trend in 2019. And uh, yeah, um, right now, if you go to like Instagram and stuff, like half the stuff I post is is basically about work or podcasts. And I throw some personal stuff in there because, you know, Mm. you know, the times we live in, but I totally understand, you know, that fear. But, you know, circling back to, you know, giving a sense of Nancy, Cece, growing up in in Zambia, uh, Southern Africa, I've been in Africa in living in like Southern Africa, like I'm from West Africa, right? Nigeria. And let me ask you this. Sometimes we tend to group, you know, all those countries like, you know, Zambia, Lesotho, South Africa, and just like group everything in South Africa. And like the South African economy is affecting, you know, Botswana and all the countries like nearby. Growing up in Zambia, how much of the effect from South Africa did you feel in the country of Zambia as far as, you know, culture, you know, business and economy? Like, were, were you guys going to South Africa many a time um, when you were younger for a couple of things? Did you have South African products flooding, like, you know, the Zambian supermarket? Um, was it common to, to marry a South African as a Zambian when you were growing up? Things like that. So... I don't know if you've heard uh, a lot of my personal stories on concrete pastures. So I come from a, a home that was full of business. My mom is a businesswoman. She traveled 
all around. And South Africa was one of them. Zimbabwe was like a second home almost, but South Africa is also like a second home also. So yes, we did have lots of uh, South African products. We watched South African TV. Hey, so good. <laughs> <laughs> so many nice shows coming from so, South so Africa. Did you watch, did you watch Leon Schuster growing up? That's the only person I know on South African TV. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> and um, it, it, it was so good, though. It, it was, for me, it became like the American of Africa mm. for me. And um, when my mom um, fast forwarding, which used to bring a lot of products, and then fast forwarding later, I got to travel to South Africa. I understood why my mom loved going there. It was more developed than Zambia uh, night and day really. And a lot of Zambians did travel there. It was actually more prestigious if you went to South Africa. You tell people, I'm going to South Africa. It's just like, oh my God. Oh, really? How, how did you go yes. there? Did you fly? Did you guys drive? No, you. you would, I took a bus. My mom used to fly. You know, She was the boss. So for me, she paid a bus. <laughs> thing <for me. laughs> so um, the bus, if you, let's say you take it at three, you get there at three the next day. So Ah, 24 hours. You guys get yes. to stop over somewhere, take so a So you stop in Zimbabwe, you stop, um, there's a, uh, an area where they, they used to stop, I'm forgetting, I think uh, St. Petersburg or something, uh, I believe. And then you get to Johannesburg. Uh, it was so cool. I actually loved the bus rides compared to flying because I've, I've flown now. But um, fly, uh, taking the bus trip was actually great. I got to see the countries that way. And I got to appreciate South Africa getting in, looking at the structure, the infrastructure that they have. is oh, The roads, no potholes compared to, to Zambia. Um, I mean, of course, I'm sure the people who live there, they have areas where they probably look like Zambia, where we have our poverty areas. But um, the ones that I got to see, Johannesburg, was really great. Really, really good. Yeah, you, you went straight for the, the golden child, like Joburg. <laughs> That's like the, yes, I like went to Joburg. I can imagine. Yes. Like. I, I had my first KFC there. Oh, they, what's the fast foods in Zambia? So Hungry Lion, which is my favorite. Oh, my God. That's Hungry Lion? Maybe French they should have French. named that like Hungry Crocodile just because of the Zambians. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a hungry croc. <laughs> Why they serving Hungry Lion, like burgers yeah, and stuff? for sure, for sure. Oh, my God. I'm telling you. It, the, the fries, the French fries that they have, the fries. I don't know what, what's in there. It's like crack. Yeah. You, you just keep eating. They have spice in it. It's, a, it's South African. But oh my god! And then we have Nando's, which I've oh, tried Nando's, here. Yeah, when I went to now. Washington DC, uh, I tried it. Chicago, I tried it. Mm, it's night and day. It's not the same. But yeah, most it's, of the brands here are you know quite different from the brands. Even Shoprite, I think they have Shoprite here in the US, but it's yeah. like night and day. Like what's mm-hmm. in, in South Africa? And you know, you're talking about growing up and and doing. You know, that fast food. We used to have something called Mr. Biggs in Nigeria. That was the OG fast food before, you know, KFC <laughs> and Chicken Republic and all these guys came through. Um, Mr. Biggs was like, uh, I think it was like Uni, uh, Unilever eventually was acquired by Unilever. But that was like the OG, like their beef patties, their meat pies and stuff like used to be great. Like if your dad is, 
telling you that, hey, we're going to Mr. Big's today, that was like, you know, you feel top of the world and everything. So um, let okay. me add to that. The fast foods that we actually have, the local ones, are one of the best. Like you go to the market, market inside the market, it's more like a meal. It's not really like fast food. There's meat cooking. You get hungry just passing by. You know, you'll be going to buy like something and you're passing by. It's just, oh my God. Yeah, like food, a buka, right? <laughs> yes. So it's the, the, there's meat fr- on the braai and there's, uh, you can have rice. You can have ishima, which is like the cornmeal. Uh, they had porridge that we eat. That's like our staple food. And uh, Sushima, really, you call it? Yes, we call it shima. I guess you guys shima. call it shima. Okay. Yeah. What was what does that consist of? Is it like uh, it's wheat? Just, uh, uh, yams? It's not cornmeal. Cornmeal. It's, uh, had porridge. Yes. So we cook it like um, until it's hard enough for us to eat with our hands, and it's almost similar to fufu. Can you find that here in the states or no? Yes, I eat it myself. I make it home. So when you're in New York, um, uh, I'll you. Yeah, I guess you can find everything in New York. New York is more central, so everything like comes through there and everything. But um, let me ask you this. Is there anything you took for granted, like being an African in Africa? Like you just talked about how, you know, obviously maybe the Nando's in Zambia was, you know, you thought that was how the Nando's was everywhere. But when you tried it in Chicago, it was like night and day. Like what are some of the major things you took for granted as an African live growing up in Africa that it took you leaving Africa to kind of like realize that, oh, wow, like we had a good on this end or that end? I would say like, so I'll give you an example. 2012, I went back home for the first time since I'd been here. So I went back home and um, I literally then appreciated being African, being uh, Zambian, because of what I was seeing, I was just like, oh my God, I never even went to the Victoria Falls when I was here at all. I literally went back as a tourist. And I think it was taking time to take in what we have in our country. Mm. I never, I took advantage of that. I just like, it's always going to be here. Just like people here that they don't go to, let's say, uh, they don't travel. They're like, mm-hmm. why would I? travel to other countries or they don't do um or they don't go to such of liberty i'll tell you that people all live in new york they don't go see such of liberty they don't go Facts. to the Empire State Building. they, they don't do all of these things and it was the same for me because i was here getting surprised I'm like you have been to such of liberty oh my god and then i go <laughs> home i'm in the same boat we're right. saying oh my god i never went to see the victoria falls i never I like I'd been to Livingstone before, but while I was there, I um, I didn't I did I didn't take advantage of what we had in our country. I had been on a boat cruise on the Zambezi River, which is something that I remember is one of my favorite memories. My uncle was so awesome uh, that he would take us on uh, those type of cruises with my sisters. But in terms of like seeing my country, how beautiful my country was, I should have, you know, taken advantage of that and really taken in my country and what it has to offer. Now I appreciate it. We, it has a lot to offer um, all around. And um, I actually, it opened, when going to Africa also opened up my mind to those things as well. You know what? That's a very interesting topic. And I, 
I can relate to that a little bit. Like Africans tend not to know what they have. Like I can relate to that story a little bit. My mom was born, I was born in fact, in a city called Port Harcourt, uh, where Bernabo is from, like Southern Nigeria. My dad was in the military, so he was stationed down in that part. Um, I'm not from there, but I was just born there because my dad was stationed there when I was in the military. And it's an oil rich, rich town, right? So all the companies, Shell and Chevron and all the BP, they're all there. So we have a lot of expatriates in Port Harcourt. So um, mm-hmm. growing up and even later in life, we also have like a huge Lebanese community in Nigeria, a huge Indian community in, say, Lagos and the Western Nigeria uh, doing business. I'll, once in a while, I always get to see or interact with like a Lebanese man or a white expatriate or something. And they'll say, man, Nigeria is flooded with gold, with milk and honey. Like you guys have it good. There's gold on the street. You can come yeah. here and make money. And I never really understood what they saw in our country. I was like, mm-hmm. you're from Lebanon, you're from India, you're from Russia, wherever. You come here, you work, they live in the best part of towns, they work and they start businesses, multi-generational businesses. There are yes. so the group of Indians and Nigerians in Nigeria that almost classify themselves Nigerian because their great-grandfather came to Nigeria, grandfather, father, and not them, like four generations. So they, they grew up there and everything. And uh, I never understood till I went to Ghana, right? So in 2018, uh, I went to Ghana for three months. Uh, I went there on uh, a job, like a three-month consulting. And it was like with a group of like other nationals and whatnot. So we're all treated like expatriates pretty much. And that was the Mm. first time (laughs) I realized that there are two different Africas. Like when I was in Ghana for that three (laughs) months, it was a totally different experience. And I knew that there is no way in hell, like the locals, like living in Ghana will get to experience that same thing. Like it was just different. It was like your own little bubble and ecosystem. And I could see why, like if I Mm. was an expatriate for a long term, how I could build a business there and connect with the expatriate community and make a whole lot of money. I mean, myself being African as well, like, but it just goes to show that sometimes like Africa has a a continent blessed with a lot of like mineral resources, human capital, you know, abundant talent, a very young population. But I don't know if it's the leaders or the leaders come from the people. Like we don't tend to see what we have. It takes someone else recognizing that value before the locals assign a value to that thing. So yes, it's quite for sure. Yeah, I guess that's why sure. people like yourself, I don't know what your long-term plans are, but maybe more and more of people like us need to go back uh, to the continent and not go back with a savior mentality that, hey, I'm coming to bring all this technology from the West or develop you or give you guys a job. Or, hey, I'm coming to learn and contribute my quarter to see my country be better, you know, that type of thing. No, for sure. You have to be able to um, work with the people that are already on the ground. They know better. You only contributing from the skills that you've learned, the resources that you've learned. And they they know they've been there almost all of their lives. So you can go there and say, this is what I know. And you guys need to follow this. this. No, there's no way. I plan to go, but I try. I plan to settle in South Africa. That's my my goal. I love South Africa. I don't know why, but it just connects to me in a way that I connected here in New York and the States. Interesting. Where in South Africa do you think you're going to settle in? Cape Town. I've never been, but I want to be in Cape Town. Compared to Josie, Cape Town. Okay. Okay. I respect it. I respect yes. it. I, I, I thought I was going to be in Santon. 
um, South Africa. But I, Isn't I, that I, the expensive area of South Africa, Santon? Yes, it's, it's a posh area. I love it. <laughs> that's a posh area, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Pretoria, that's where I'm at. There's Pretoria, there's uh, uh, Santon, and uh, why not? Why not? No, okay, you, you inherited that bouginess from your mom. I see you. I see what <laughs> Yes, I, I'm not even ashamed. I have no uh, shame. The girl hey, is bougie. It's hey, fine. You work, you work hard, man. So you, you deserve to live the life that you want to. Um, okay, so we've touched a little bit of being African in Africa, right? So let, let me touch a little bit about being African in America, right? Um, mm. And you got your visa. You, you stay in Zambia for a year. Um, mm-hmm. you, your mom was was a little sick back then, and then you eventually came to the U.S. You did your research. <laughs> <laughs> you eventually came to the U.S. Now, being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over twenty years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, Let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. What was your first impression being an African landing in America for the first time? First of all, I was disappointed. My expectation level was very, very high. First first things first, where did you land? Just for context. JFK. You were disappointed in JFK? No way. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Guys, you should see the sarcasm coming out of him. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when I got to JFK, I was expecting, you know, red carpet and, you know, all of these lights. No, flashy lights. Because coming from uh, Johannesburg, again, for my South African people, you know, it it was beyond. It it looked really nice. And I was expecting a step higher than where I was coming from. I came via South African airline and it was beautiful. Coming to JFK, there's like nothing. I mean, it's since 2002, it's been like, you know, renovated. There's it's much better looking now compared to 2002 when I came. And um, from there, I went straight to the Bronx. Even when I got to the Bronx, you could tell, honestly, that this is where the immigrants live. I was expecting for it to look like almost like Manhattan. If you've been in Manhattan, it looks posh. There's a lot of areas where the buildings look like what we see on TV. And Mm -hmm. I was expecting that to be everywhere. Um, Again, you know, mind... Isn't the Bronx getting gentrified now? Is that Brooklyn? Brooklyn. 
Oh, okay, Brooklyn. Okay. And some and some parts of the Bronx, to be honest with you, they are. They're nicer parts of the Bronx. Just like anything, uh, anywhere in the world, there's nicer parts and there's also parts where they, they have opportunities and they need improvement. <laughs> so the one, the area where I was going, it needed improvement, okay? And when I got there, I was just very disappointed. I'm one of those people who always lived in a house. I was looking forward to living in the flat. And when I got to the flat, I was just like, oh, my God, this is it. <laughs> not that I was not grateful, but it's just I expected more being that this was America. But you mm. could tell already, like our building, it was all like uh, people from Zambia, actually, were living mm-hmm. in that building. So you could you could tell it, it, it was not fancy enough. Like if you go away from the Bronx to New Jersey, they have communities, Get right. it, communities, and this is just a whole building, nothing. No amenities, no nothing. You know what? Like, those experiences can help in the long run because the way your first impression of something can also help you get grounded, depending on your goal, right? Like, I, like most people, came to the U.S. for, you know, economic opportunity, things like that, and I had a similar experience. I flew through Casablanca, on Moroccan Airlines or Royal Air Moroccan landed in JFK as well, 2 a.m. in the morning. And I was like, and I was trying to take the subway to Port Authority because um, I didn't have enough money you to... You even tried to get Thank you, at 2 a.m. <laughs> First time in the U.S. Hey. at 2 a.m. And going to Port, Port Authority respect, from JFK. Respect, man, respect. I think I needed to switch at Jamaica, Queens at 2 a.m. <clears> and <throat> I just asked like an airport personnel, okay, this is what Google Maps... Is telling me I need to switch to Jamaican because he was like at two AM first time in, in New York, like nah. <laughs> like like go past Jamaica Queens station, like stop two stations over, climb up the platform to the street, and then walk back to Port Authority or something like that. I'd like I can't remember the specifics. So that was like kind of like the direction and the introduction. And like from Port Authority, I took a Greyhound bus, like almost 20 hour Greyhound bus. Uh, from New York to Chicago, where my brother lived, because that was the only way I couldn't afford a Lagos to Chicago flight. It was cheaper to land in New York and take a Greyhound bus from New York to Chicago. But that experience, just kind of like being on the Greyhound bus, wow. seeing all those small towns, <laughs> driving through the U.S. That's like my first two days in the U.S. That was at the airport and the Greyhound wow. bus. So that that kind of like grounded me to say, okay, there are opportunities, but also like. All that glitters isn't gold. There's there's real life out here, and this is what is attainable. And they actually like painted that picture for me. Um, mm. But speaking about your experience, like, what was your first experience with working in the U.S.? So, okay, you're an African here now. Uh, most people who come here from Africa, you know, depending on if you come for school or not, you know, tend to do jobs like you know driving a cab, working at McDonald's, being a nanny. Like, yeah. what was that experience for you? Um, my experience was tough. My first job was being a nanny and a housekeeper at the same time. I was taking care of five kids. My schedule was nuts. It it was crazy. It was like 6 a.m., 12 a.m. Because I came straight from um, high school. Oh, okay. Graduated high school and I was ready to, you know, start my life. But I came here thinking life was going to be much easier to make money. Um, but I had the plan of, I want to go to school and work at the same time, but I didn't realize that the work portion of it was going to be very challenging for me navigating that, like, I wish I did research 
first of all. And I wish people were more transparent with me, telling me how difficult it was here. They, we never believe it when we're back home and, and people tell you it's not all roses. Like, I don't know about Zambia, but in Nigeria, whenever you tell people back home, I was guilty of this when I was back home. When people tell me it's not all roses, I'll say, oh, no, you, you're just a hater. You don't want me to come over. And now it's the same thing. When I tell people back home, oh, be ready. This is what you might do. Oh, you're just a hater. Why are you trying to discourage me <laughs> type of thing? It's the truth. And that's the reason why I wanted to create Concrete Pastures, because these are real stories of people. I wish we, I had something like this. This way, at least, even if I don't believe to, to a certain point, I can go back and say, oh, my God, Nancy did say this. Nancy did mention this. Because then it's not so shocking. I was very shocked when, I, when the first night I got to the house. The house was a mansion. And cleaning that, it was, it was just me. And I don't know if you, you, you know about... You five kids and a mansion. Yes. On and what? You said six to 12, skinny. so that's like what? 18-hour shifts or something? Somewhat, yes. And wow. I, I would clean and feed the kids because three of them went to school. Two of them stayed with me. So I would be cleaning and watching the six-month-old and the two-year-old. Six months old. Wow. Yes. So it, it was just a whole lot of... <laughs> it, was, it was shocking. Like, I was questioning my decisions as to why am I here? Uh, my mom at the time was doing amazing. Like, her business was at, at, at her peak. She was at her peak, I would say, at that time. Mm-hmm. And she would call me. You know, there's something about parents. They know that there's something wrong that's happening with their child. And for me, growing up in boarding school, I've grown, I developed this masking thing. Like, even if I'm in trouble, I can mask it very well. But for parents, they can tell, no matter how much you mask it, they can tell mm-hmm. it in your voice, they can tell it in their expression if they are looking at you. But my mom had known me uh, regardless, so she would call me. She's like, you know, you always have that, you know, return ticket. Why don't you, uh, you can always come back home. But I didn't want to be under my mom's success at all. I wanted to have my own identity. If it meant suffering mm. in the beginning... I wanted, to, and what got me was my aunt, my young sister was here. So I'm like, if she made it. And then when she started to tell me her stories, when I got here, that's when she started to share all of her challenges that she went through. Oh, we slept eight of us in one room. You would have to come early to like find a space to sleep in the, in the house. I'm like, why didn't you tell me? Because first of all, she made it seem so good. <laughs> and she'll be sending we back, back dollars, right? The exchange. Yes. Would be like, and she was back sending a lot of money. so much money. She, <laughs> right. she was sending money to her mother. And she sent us clothes, which were like really uh, nice clothes. And I thought, oh man, she's living her best life. And then I come. This, she, this was the time that she just got her apartment. And she was sharing with someone. So it was three of us in one bedroom, on one bed. Uh, good thing when we we all, like, would sleep like oh, wait, one wait, day. Wait, 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 wait. Quick question. Like, you worked 18 hours. Are you telling me you didn't live on premises with the family? No, you I had... did. I wasn't living. Oh, but okay. I would go when, home. When you said the apartment, uh, I, I thought you had to come there every day. No, 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 no. I would oh. go home 
listen, I think it was just a waste of money to actually have an apartment <laughs> that just housed my I clothes. That, that's it. And I would go home Sunday morning to go so I can just take a break also, just to see a familiar face and to eat because I barely ate at all. Then the next morning I have to go back. I was out for like a few hours on Sundays and it was so far, I don't know, Long Island all the way. That's why I was like in Long Island. But it was very shocking for me and what I was signing up for. Uh, but it grounded me. I, I learned a lot through that experience. In order for me to be who I am today, I needed to go through that journey to appreciate today. If I didn't go through that journey, I don't think I would be humble enough to appreciate today. Um, my the, the hard work that I had to put in, no matter how... I didn't want to wake up at 6 in the morning every single day, but mm. I woke up every uh, at 6 every single day. I showed up for those kids. I showed up for the family every single week. Well, you went to boarding and, school, right? Did that help at all during this? It did. Just, well, mm-hmm. boarding school helped a lot. Listen, <laughs> it played a vital uh, part in my decision to ha- come here and also to be able to have that type of structure. Mm. So waking up, I'm an early bird anyway. When I was going to college, I would wake up at four in the morning to study. So it's nothing. Um, Typical African of you, very African. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, man, whatever. <laughs> so it's um, it, it's good. For, it, it played a good part for me to be able to wake up that early in the morning because the days that we didn't go to school, we went running, so we'd wake up five in the morning anyway, like it's school day, but it's not. Right. <laughs> but 18 but, yeah. hours, man. That's crazy. How much were you being paid? Can you remember? Uh, 350 a week. 300 oh, $350 a week. Okay. Yeah. So wait, let me get my calculator out here real quick. Eight, 18 hour days. <laughs> you said six days a week, right? <laughs> yeah, six days a week. Six days a week. So that's 108 hours, man. That's investment banking hours. So <laughs> 350 divided by yep. 108. That's like $3.02 an hour. Yeah. Wow. What yep. was the minimum wage in 2002? Who knows? That's probably um, I mean, less than what the minimum 2000... wage was in 2002. 2005, I think it was five dollars. I remember in New York. Okay, so maybe right. close to minimum wage back then. Yeah, it was close to minimum wage, um, but still six days. Did the family treat you well? Uh, How's your interaction with them? Did you experience anything um, shocking? What was like the craziest thing uh, you experienced while you worked there? Uh, first of all, the shocking part was that she had five kids. Off the bat, that was shocking because back home. I remember they told us, like, in school, if I remember correctly, people don't come for me. Um, they, they, they were teaching us that in America, they have, like, minimum of two kids. And then when I came here, it was just very shocking. They were rich, filthy rich, like, stupid money uh, rich. It was generational wealth. It's from the husband's mm. side. And you could tell, like, right away, it's like he was more calm because he grew up with money. The wife, this was new money. Mm. And I met her, I think, at the stage in her life where she was trying to balance having five kids. Because she, the youngest one was six months. 
having five kids, managing herself, and then being able to manage this person that's new in her house, and then her husband. So that was a lot. The husband to the mix. That's an extra child, huh? (laughs) Yes. But the thing is, she was married at the end of the day. Uh, Having been in a marriage and being able to juggle a job, my kids and uh, a husband, and then having to find time for myself, it's a lot. So she was going through a lot of stress. And a lot of the stress that she was going through, it was coming out on me. She would yell a lot. And uh, the fact that I was new to the country, I was too immersed in my culture, Hmm. I didn't know how to respond to a lot of the things that she would come yelling about. And we have a lot of respect. Like it's the biggest thing in my country, especially in my tribe. It's a lot. Like you give an adult water, you go down on one knee. If you don't do that, you get a smacking. You don't give people things with the left hand, all that good stuff. Yes. So when she would... She, when she would be talking, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm quiet because I'm giving her the respect. She's always expecting for me to respond to her mm-hmm. in a way that she's used to. And then what I was observing is she was fighting a lot with her husband. Her husband from me being an outsider, because a lot of people that work in your homes, people, they observe a lot. They can right. write a book. Facts. <laughs> you guys make expert witnesses in the courts. Yes. So <laughs> she, I think she expected a certain type of treatment from her husband, and he was not giving her that. Ah, I and see. that treatment, because it was not working out for her marriage the way she wanted it to be. I mean, marriage is tough. So me being an outsider and having been married, I understand completely what she was going through. But then she was displacing her anger on somebody who did not deserve it. Ah, I see. So I I don't excuse her. Yeah, I don't excuse her behavior. So that was really like painful for me to also, I'm trying to adjust to her and her family. I'm trying to adjust to the new environment I'm in. So she didn't know what I was going through. Going through, yeah. I think being compassionate for people who in this space that are able to hire people and that they work in your homes. I think being compassionate to people that Facts. are working in your homes because you don't know we are all human beings at the end of the day. And people tend to overlook the immigrant story. Like people, like if you land here today, like people, like the, the guy at the airport, like he took his time to explain the whole Port Authority, Jamaica Queen Station thing to me because he worked in the airport. He had seen a lot of immigrants like get lost and I've so he understood that way. But a lot of people in the larger society, they don't tend to know how much of a struggle it is like for mm-hmm. immigrants. Like I always like to give two stories, right? Like one story is like, I was here for like a week or two weeks. I went to Burger King. I still didn't know the currency too well. Like I knew the notes, obviously, because you see them a dollar, twenty dollars. Forget about the coins. The coins. The coins I had no I had idea. To look like, oh, is this is this twenty? <laughs> is it a penny? Is it a nickel? Why is it a nickel? Why not just call it? No five cents. I, I didn't even want to deal with it. I was collecting the coins. Exactly. Like anytime somebody gave me change, I didn't want to deal with it until later when I actually learned what it was. Like this is a quarter, a dime, exactly. Nickel, penny. And, and then I was like, okay. And retail would help with that. Like it'll help you get used yeah. to like the money and everything. But you go to Burger King and they told me, oh, my bill was like five dollars and thirteen cents. I'm new to the country. I don't have a credit card. I don't have a you know bank account. <laughs> I'm moving with cash, right? So I'm. Trying to yeah. count the 13 cents. And it was just like, 
12, 13-year-old boy, you know, teenagers work here in America, you know, and he was like getting a little like, you know, there are other customers like hurry up type thing. And that African respect thing kicked into me. I was like, well, I'm, I'm older than you, man. Like I'm trying to, you know, sort this out. Why are you talking to me that way? There's just <laughs> a whole bunch of things happening at once. But have you ever been in touch with that family? Like after your experience, like years later, like when was the last time you reached out? When you no. were gone, you just, you were gone. The other thing is I was done with her. Um, the way I left, um, it was so bad. I don't know if you heard the, uh, my first job in America on the podcast. Two weeks after I decided to resign, before I decided to resign, I did give her like uh, a notice. Mm-hmm. I told her I'm going to resign. And the first thing that came out of her mouth was like, oh, you know, we have a trip to um, Miami you know about this already. Are you going to come with me? Because I need you to help me with my kids. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so this she, lady. You were rich, rich. <laughs> with that tone, I can, I can picture it. Yeah, no, no, no. Stupid <laughs> rich. Okay, when you talk about money, that was money. Money. Uh, when, you, when you said that, I could just paraphrase, like, the way that came across from her. Like, I can't can yeah. really picture it. So right. it, every time they went on a trip, it was shopping for designers. Not, like, cheap designers expensive designers for her kids, for herself, mm-hmm. and all of that. So she, she was like, you're coming with us to Miami South. I was like, okay. I, I, I had agreed to it already. Like, I like to, on, to honor my word. If I give you my word, I'm coming through for that. Mm-hmm. So we went. Um, but before we went, I reminded her, listen, this is my last two weeks. And we were going to be out for two weeks. And that was my last two weeks. I said, this is my last two weeks that I'm going to be here. And she tells me, no, you never told me. She has, she pretends to have like amnesia. I hate those type of things. It acts me a lot. Then I understood at that point that she was taking advantage of me because I was young, new to the country. And she just literally just wants to disrespect me. I don't like that. Like, don't take advantage of me just because. I had to, at that point, I was like, okay, it's enough. You've taken advantage of me too much. You yell at me all the time. You scream like I'm your own child or something. Mm. This point, I don't, I was so angry. And my release at the time was just like bowling. It was the first time getting into a Bowling, limousine. like what, crying? Like crying, but okay. quietly. Okay. Um. So I we got into the limousine to the airport. We actually went to New Jersey, New York. And um, they are on our way. Like, seriously, I could have been in a broken down car. Like, I didn't even see the beauty of the limousine. First time in it, I, I looked. First time I got in, I sat all the way to the end so the kids could not see me. Uh, I kept my head down. I was so angry. And I didn't want to say something that was disrespectful to her. I was very conscious of that. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want to disrespect her. Still, even in those in that moment that she made me so angry. I got to the airport. I was too angry. Did they fly first class? Of course. Did they put you in first class? Yeah, because I had oh, to be with did? the kids. Oh. I had to be with the kids. You know got she didn't want to be it, with her kids. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the little ones, like the six-month one and the two-year-old. So we, um, we get to Miami two, three days into the trip. I revisit our conversation and I tell her, I'm like, listen, this is my last two weeks I'm giving you. I'm not going to work for you anymore. I don't like the way you treat me. Um, You are the biggest reason why I want to leave. I love your kids. 
I, but I cannot continue to go on with you this way. She tells me I'm not going to pay you. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> I got so, uh, now she just uh, upped my level. I was going to lose my mind. Mm. Like I was, was like, first of all, I'm taking care of your kids. Every day we were at the pool in the cabana. She would disappear with her husband. Of course, as she should, if she has help, you know. Right. So I was with the kids constantly at the pool and all of that. It was, this was actually a hotel. It was in Scarface. One of uh, one of the hotels in Miami where they had. I didn't even. The thing is, I blocked my mind from seeing everything else. You didn't like get to beauty. enjoy the trip because of no, your infuriation. No, not at all. Mm. Yes. So I was so infuriated with with everything that was happening, and I ended up blurting out to her, like slavery ended there a long time ago. Wow. You would not not pay me, and she like gasped, like shocked. You're not paying me right. for free. Exactly. I put in work. So exactly. you got to pay me. That's a, and don't take advantage of me just because you feel like it. Yeah, this you, is not going you know, to work. You know how it starts with immigrants? It starts with immigrants with like, oh, can I hire them? Like, do they speak good enough English? Do they understand the system to let me try them to, oh, they're really hardworking. Oh, they don't complain as much as American to, oh, yes. let me take advantage of them. Like, there's yeah. always that, you know cycle but by back's question like we have this experience as immigrants right and most of us would be here like i'm not married yet but you know high possibility that i'll get married to the u.s so you have kids in the u.s now they're we're producing these children that are second generation immigrants that don't know that side you know your kids might end up growing up in sandton or in long island in a mansion somewhere and they'll be taken care of by someone else like how do we as immigrants get to imbibe that culture and our kids you know the the extreme way that nigerian parents do it is that they just ship you off to boarding school for like four or five years and like they steal your passport and they don't talk to you and you end up hating your father for like 10 years uh but us coming here we still have a bit of that culture from home but how do we instill that to kids who are born here and you know who are still zambian american but you know how do we get them in touch with your zambian side on the african side so with my kids I'll speak for for myself with my kids. Um, With my kids, being that I'm not in the community anymore, like my Zambian community, I'm getting back into it slowly but surely because of the podcast. We used to go to the embassy, uh, to the mission here in New York. And every time like we would have infection, we would do that. But with my kids, I have YouTube that I have introduced them to, like the music. They love the music. Uh, my daughter, when she was very, very little, I used to sing to her, like our the songs that my mom used to sing to me as well. I'll tell her stories Aww. that my mom used to tell me. And, like, and you know, for, sorry, stories. for context, how old are your kids for context? Um, seven now, and uh, my son is two. Yeah. So when my daughter actually can Sing, can hum a little bit with what I used to sing to her when she was little. Even that every now and then she she will ask for the songs, but this is like in our language, and um, the stories that my mom, you know, our stories, bedtime stories are like forever. Every time we, you you want to hear this, the stories, the tortoise was too slow, and you know the <laughs> the rabbit went running faster and stuff. But um, 
Yeah. Um, so I t- I used to tell her those type of stories as well. Um, YouTube has become my go-to. Um, my my Mastaka kids, they love this. I guess they were really literally just like dancing with me and my son. Uh, I want them to understand like the culture instead of just Zambia itself, like Africa as a whole. Like it's not only just Zambia. You got to understand you're African as well as much as you are American, as much as you are Ukrainian as mm. well. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have my, um, their grandparents here. So they speak Russian and they're able to understand and speak I've tried to um, teach them my language slowly but surely. Um, it was overwhelming at first when we started to teach her. She was switching it between my ex and I at the time. So I had to stop mine because here she uses it a lot compared to my language. But I'm going to go back to teaching them my language as well so they understand. And, but, and what language is that in Zambia? Lozi. Lozi. Yeah, got from it. This yeah. Tribe. That's interesting. So you're you're married to a, a Ukrainian gentleman? Yes. Okay. But before we get to that, let me ask you this. Like during this whole you coming to the US for the first time, like what was can you remember your first um how will I put this? Can you remember the first person that moved to you as far as like dating wise? Like how was that interaction? Like uh if you can remember <laughs> the first the first guy, like how was that? I know in New York, like there are a lot of um, non-gentleman, if I can put it, put it lightly, but what was that interaction like? Was, was he American? Was he from someone else? What was that interaction? How was that different from you being in boarding school and interacting with boys, that type of thing? Um, so I'll tell you this. When I got here, I had left my boyfriend back home. So he came over. Oh, wow. <laughs> really? Yes, after six months. So he came over. Wow. Did he, Wait, did you guys plan this together or he was like coming, like chasing you and stuff? He decided later after I left. Because I didn't think he was going to come over. So when I left, I was just like depressed and I had left, you know, someone that I loved, I cared about back home. And then... Um, I came six months later. He was like, uh, during that time that I was here, like six months, he was like, I'm going to get a visit. I'm going to come. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, this was not Facebook or anything. Like, this was just like phone no, calls. No, this was phone calls on cards. Interesting. We, we stayed in touch. We were one of those people that can talk for hours and hours and hours. Oh, um, young love. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but once he came here, things didn't work out the way we wanted to, um, to. And we, you know, we broke up. And that's when I met my ex. But between that, I had, people did approach uh, approach me. I would say um, it's very different, though, actually. When people approached, it's... I don't even know how to describe it. It's just very different dating in America. I mean, you live in the Bronx. Was there any cat calling like, hey, ma, what's going on, ma? Yes. It was one of those. <laughs> like I had my... those teams, ma. You know, I yes. Know. <laughs> and I had teams. And I had teams. Because, yeah. you know, there's snow here. It's so I got to wear some yeah, teams. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it was cool, though. It was refreshing. I'll be honest. It was refreshing when... Uh, 
you hear the accent and they're just like, okay, I'm chopped. And you know, it, it was good. It, it was good. I, I, it's different for sure. They, the way people behave and how they talk, it's um, very different. A lot of people are just curious. That's one thing that I would say Like they're curious to date somebody who's African, mm. uh, to, I guess, to check in on their checklist or something <laughs> and no I, I, your checklist <laughs> yeah so people that have dated i'm like a I, checklist of like 36 countries like okay zambian south african and nigeria <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh, um, I, that i hated and even now when mm. i'm single there's people who like approach just uh, oh you're zambian i've never dated anybody from africa you know mm. i'm just like i'm not going to be your experiment even in new york like i'll imagine that's common in somewhere like colorado where i live or you know in europe parts of europe germany and things like that like in new york i like africa been there for years right no like, different cultures some people different cultures uh mm-hmm. Especially europeans that live here mm-hmm. they want to have that experience of oh are you from the islands? Because wow. some a lot of people that are not Africans cannot tell uh, where I'm from right away. They get some from the islands right away. Got it. And I, I told them, no, I'm from Africa. I was like, oh my God, I've never dated anybody from Africa. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm Got not going to be your experiment. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So, so when you say you, your boyfriend came after six months, it didn't work out, and immediately you met your ex-husband, does that mean... Um, you guys got married like maybe two, three years after you came to the States or something like that? We got married in 2007. It, it was some time. My ex, we stayed for a long time also. I, I'm like a, a dater. I, I like to be with a purpose. What? I just don't like to date just to date because that's how uh, people mm. date here. They oh, we are friends. Yeah, I mean, you're you're African, right? So I don't know. Some people say African men have more chivalry. Some people say no. (laughs) Some people say they prefer... Wait, some people... uh, African men have what? More chivalry. I'm just saying some people. Some people say no. (laughs) I don't know. With the way you're smiling, you'll probably disagree with that statement. So (laughs) I'd say... I'll play the field. Okay. Okay, okay. But there must have been an interesting dynamic being married to someone from um, Ukraine and things like that. Um, How was that like you getting to interact with his family, him getting to interact with maybe your family? I'm not sure if your mom eventually came to visit or something like that. Um, It was good. I, I have no complaints, to be honest with you. Right away, like when I met his family, to date, uh, me and my sister were actually like, call each other sisters we are close as ever when you get into an interracial uh, relationship or marriage there's going to be differences of culture how you take things and how he takes things was different so you have to teach that person what is acceptable what's not acceptable um but Looking at each other and being with each other as human beings, I think it was the first thing that both of us acknowledged that we were in love and we treated each other as human beings. We didn't see, um, I I don't want to say we didn't see color, but we accepted each other as just, I guess when you're in love, you just don't see anything. You you really don't. So it's just, 
So it was different. Um, I immersed into his world a lot because I'm here by myself. Mm -hmm. So his friends became my friends, his family, they are my family still. And um, it, it was very easy for me. They, it, they are very small family as well. They're very small family. I come from a very big family. So when I took him home in 2012, he was welcomed like he was the prince. I just was not, <laughs> I, I was non-existent when I went. Why do our parents always do that? <laughs> yeah, I was non-existent. Everything was just uh, to him. Oh, you got to do this. I'm just like, ah. Immigrant no. parents always do that. You know, I have a friend from Nepal. No, and- it was not even like my mom like that. My sister. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Immigrant families, they always do that. And it's not just Africans, right? Like I have a friend from Nepal and he was, you know, he's been trying to get me to come to Nepal and eventually I'll probably go there one of these years. But he was saying like, if you go back home, like my, my family will probably for, forget I exist and they'll just treat you like, <laughs> like, like this visitor, you know, <laughs> like important visitor yeah. and take care of you and all that stuff. But I guess no, but it's, it's the same like thing here. Like when I, whenever we had, we had a lot of dinners with the, uh, with the family. So I would go, they were crowded to me as well. Like every time I went, even though they've known me for all of these years, like they've known me 15 years, mm. they would still cater to me. It's like, oh, what do you want? This is in their house still. Like they will still cater to me. So I have no complaints when it comes to that. Uh, you just have to be more open and accept what come with it. Uh, I was mostly the the only black girl in a lot, in our group, so I had to get used to that. At first, it was just like, oh wow, and I noticed that it. uh, it's not it's not because somebody made me feel uncomfortable. A lot of some of his friends wanted me to speak Russian, and I was like, do you speak my language? So I was more also sometimes <laughs> defensive. I'm like, do you speak my language? Yeah. No, because you, you you shouldn't push other people. Oh, to, they didn't want you to speak Russian in a friendly way? Like, they were in, it was more like, why don't you speak Russian type of thing? One person in particular mm. uh, would constantly... Like, at first, I was like, okay, maybe it's a joke, whatever. And mm-hmm. then I, if someone repeats themselves so many times, then it's just like, okay. So if you want me to respect your culture, your language, whatever, why mm-hmm. don't you ask me about my culture, my mm. language... Um, don't make me feel like I'm less important and you are more important than like who I am. Like I'm African. You want to mm. know about my, me being African? Ask me. You want to know about my language? Ask me. I'm happy to teach you. But all the time, like most of the times, because those speak Russian and then um, they have to stop because I'm there. Someone will say, okay, speak English. Nancy's here. Mm. And I'm like, oh, why don't you speak Russian? So you you just have to be ready for for those, for those um, type of things. Yeah. For those type yeah. of things. There's some people who's not gonna, you know, accept completely like your culture as an African person or wherever you are from. But for me, I'm a tough cookie. Um <laughs> I um I I, I kind of can blend into any uh any culture and I'm I'm okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that I makes can hold sense. my that own. I guess that's the thing about being in love, right? Like your your partner doesn't operate in a in a vacuum. <laughs> like there are other things you have to deal with outside of where the lovey dovey in the house uh, interact yeah. with family and all those things. But it's true. okay, in light of that, like how do I teach me a little lozy then? Like how do I 
Like if I'm if I'm chatting up someone, how do I say hi? You know, my name is Nosa. I think you're pretty. Uh, how are you doing today? Type of thing. How do I say I'm Lozi? Like, I, wait, Ooh. is Lozi spoken in Zimbabwe as well or just Zambia? It's Zambia. It's more close to um, like um, if I had to be in South Africa, I kind of understand when they speak. Um, I don't know if it's Zulu or something. Like when someone says Akuna Matata, it means the same thing in my country. Ah, interesting. So I guess yeah, Zimbabwe like my, is more like Chichawa and uh, some other stuff in Zimbabwe. Yes. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. This, one, this, one, this one probably worked, but let me learn it all the same. You never know. <laughs> so you want to know how to say hello and you're yeah. beautiful. Hey, hey, um, how are you? I think you're pretty. What's your name? Let's keep it simple. Let me oh, let me get God. my pen. All right. Hello. <laughs> hello. Let's start from there. Uh, first of all, you ask me someone who speaks very little of the language. I, okay. with, me and my sisters mix English and our language. Unless we need to like gossip, then we <laughs> we speak our language. But let me try this, okay? Um, I'm, 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 I'm. So how are you? Um, so we have different ways on how we greet. Uh, older person, younger person. Younger. So Uchwani. Uchwani? Yes. Uchwani. With a U? Yes. Uchwani. Okay. Hey, don't be asking me about the spelling. That's my no, sister. No, I'm not. I'm just writing. I'm just, <laughs> for, just for pronunciation's sake. Uchwani. Okay. There we go. Uchwani. Uyomunde. Uyomunde. Yes. That, that's does sound, that's, that does sound a little, I don't want to say Afrikaans, but that sounds a little Zulu. Little. Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, um, Monday. So I can actually understand when they are speaking. Ah. It's not like Sosa that has some of the clicks as well, right? I, we I don't have the clicks. Sosa. That's the only difference. We don't okay. have the clicks. They have the clicks. Um, what else did you ask? Uyomunde is so, I think you're pretty. Yes. Huh. That sounds like a direct. Okay. Monday. Okay. That's what's your name? That's the last one. Or some no, or, no. or something else uh, that's uh, in the in the conversation of meeting someone for the first time, or you know, something something along no, those sir. lines. No, why am I being tested on this? <laughs> hey, you're helping a brother out, man. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay, I need these two. You've given me these two. Okay, Uchwani. So I meet you for the first time. I say Uchwani, and Uyomunde just means I think you're pretty or you're pretty. Okay, I, I can pretty. remember those two. And then. Um, uh, so the thing is, Libizola um, how means your name, and then I'm missing the other part. I can't, for the life of me, I can't even pick the other part. Of, Wait, say, uh, say your name. Just say that part. Libizola how? Libi. Libizo. Libizola how? Yes, Libizola how. All right, I got it. All right, this should work. This should yeah. work. Right, right. Appreciate it. Appreciate Good it. luck. I pray for you. You're asking the wrong person. Oh man, man, I feel you, man. I feel you, man. I mean, obviously, like we can we can keep talking about like your immigrant experience can't be um, you know shrunk into just an hour podcast, or an hour and fifteen minutes. But you know, obviously, from those humble beginnings, you know, coming into the Bronx, uh, you never left the Bronx. By the way, are you st- you still live there? I live in Brooklyn. I okay, live in Bronx Brooklyn now. Okay. When I met my ex. 
Got it. Got it. And, you know, I'm sure my listeners will want me to ask this, not to get too personal. Feel free not to answer, but I got to ask it. Like, why did you guys break up? Um, so why did we break up? Oh, my God. It, it's a loaded question. As you will find out once you get married, a lot gets in the place. So I'll explain it this way. So as we're both immigrants, he came here when he was younger. I came here when I was a little bit older. I assumed, I'll talk about myself, because I've learned throughout my journey of healing, I had to look inside me to see what I brought to the table and what contributed to our breakup. Um, according to me, I would say um, I assumed, I took a lot of things granted Mm. being that we were immigrants my goal was go to work make a living provide for the family that was his goal as well when we first met but I'm I'm more of hungry than I was I think at a higher level of wanting to achieve things than he wanted but he was more family oriented I need time with you I need Mm -hmm. time with the family so our love language was at two different levels. I didn't really understand his love language because we were pulling each other apart constantly. I was, I thought I was doing the right thing by I'm going to go to work, work hard. And he understood how hard I worked hard. He appreciated that. But in the long run also, he wanted actually for me to be pull away from that after my hard work. Mm. Uh, that I put in, he wanted me to pull away from that so we could spend time together. Mm. I don't want to live a mediocre life. And that's, I'm, I, I'm entitled to mm. a blessed uh, life. You deserve it. Yes. So, and that's what my goal was. And I didn't feel that that was appreciated in a way. So we were at two different, like after so many years together, Right. You start to take advantage of, um, and the kids also came in play. When we got married, we were um, married for seven years, no kids. So we did whatever we wanted to do. We'd get up, mm-hmm. go to, let's go to Boston for lunch. We'd go to Boston for a day and come back uh, to New York. Like we'd drive with those type of people. When the kids came in play, it was hard for me to balance the kids career, marriage. And then I felt like I was giving so much of myself without really giving to me. And then on top of that, I don't think it was being appreciated because I was always asked to give more Mm. when I couldn't give more. Mm. I was only able to give my 80% Mm. and that 80% could be more than that. Was he trying to change you or was just trying to, well, I wouldn't say change, like because you you know like I've experienced a, a little something similar like you're you're one way and sometimes it's hard to turn that off you know when it comes to the career side to the personal side there's some bits and pieces of you in that other side like I dated a girl once who always said man you Nigerians like you guys are very um, you know like cunning in a way like you know you always look for ways to get things done and you know things and yeah. things and 
yeah. you know, she she didn't like that side of me per se because I'll I'll that side of me will show up during the relationship. But when she was going to buy a car one time, she was like, "Oh man, you have to come with me to the dealership because I know you have what it takes to like get me a good deal." I was like, "Oh, so it's the same me, right? Like it's the same me you don't like on this side, yes. and the same me who is giving you an advantage to buy a car on that side." So like. I'm the same person. Like you gotta pick. Yes, like, I, I can't. you 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 bring up yeah. a good point. I think um, some partners they get to choose which parts they wanna love of you and like of you. Mm-hmm. But I wanted for me to be loved in all areas because I ex- I'm a better person when I am supported in my in everything in my mm. whole career. Like I show up for my job and I'll show up for my marriage and my kids once I feel that support and um, being able to be appreciated for what I bring to the table. Not that mm. he did not appreciate, but it was picking and choosing. And the fact that we were in the same career, that also, I think, I assumed he would understand the struggle mm. of it. And uh, for women, especially getting into the finance world and getting promoted, it, it, it's tough. So when I got to the point where I felt like I arrived, he hated my job because wow. I was being like, yes, I was, um, I was more out. I would work weekends. Some people, when they hire you, go in the ranks. They expect for you to do less. What you have to understand is not in finance, no. <laughs> not in finance, right. you have to earn that six figure they're giving you. It's not for free. If they're giving you six figures or whatever salary they're giving you, that title and whatever you have to, you have to work harder than anybody else. You're running a business on behalf of the organization. It's your business. You take ownership of that business. Entrepreneurship. Exactly. And for me, I I, I couldn't afford to fail. I, I can't afford to fail. And I have this thing. I'm like, okay. Uh, and him, um, him also being an immigrant, knowing where he should also have, maybe you should have, you're thinking this way that maybe he should have also known where you come from because you have, you may have had like responsibilities back home, even though your mom was well off. Like there are you, people depending you. on me. Like I'm not just here. You. Who I'm not American. Who you. you know the story. You were in the industry. He knew that story actually. He, mm. I, I was very blessed to actually have him because um, some men would not be understanding especially mm. of a different race and a different culture of why I would send money. I was taking care of my grandmother and my brothers. He contributed to that. He actually was like, oh, let's send the money. He was very giving. So I cannot take that away from him. I think um, there's so many things that broke us up. It's just one of the things that I'm sharing is part of it was my career and not spending time with my family in a way that, he wanted, he was thinking of, you know, having it. But for me, showing up at work, showing up at home and mm-hmm. uh, wanting to have a partner that's like, I guess, as a team. Right. That, that word, team. Right. Over, over the years, things changed. Before, it was not like that. But as you move up the ranks, people are not always going to change as you are evolving. That's that what I've sense. learned. That makes sense. That goes with friends, colleagues, everyone, not just the romantic partners. And I totally understand. I, 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 I didn't see that. Like I expect that like, it was shocking for me 
until now that I was like, okay, he was not evolving at the same time that I was evolving. He was still looking for that girl because he mentioned it. I was looking for that girl that I met on the elevator. Oh, um, 10 years oh, ago. But how, how long were you guys married? We were married for 13 years. 13. Mm. The time that we separated, but I'm still married technically. <laughs> so it's 14 still. <laughs> oh, you're just separated. Oh, so, so all, all hope is not lost, right? Or, I mean, uh, you never know, like 1%, 2%, maybe a little, a little tinder somewhere negative. that could spark a flame nothing negative. oh negative. man man you, we talked about our biggest fears at the beginning of the podcast this is one of my biggest fears like i'm like man this marriage thing i don't know like like you said like i'm so like i'm nigerian i'm, I'm all, all, all already disposed genetically to like <laughs> behave a certain way plus i have like military background my dad was in the military i'm an immigrant on top of that i run a business like not a lot of ladies can handle all that. Like when I bring all that to the relationship, there are good sides of it in that yeah. I keep my word. I get shit done. I, yeah. I keep them. But just me being in touch, I'm just so hardened from being a Nigerian entrepreneur, all these things that me being in touch with that soft side, nurturing side I need to give my partner is sometimes lacking. And I keep asking myself, what is the thing in marriage? They say, find someone who... Um, you guys connect on a lot of things, like someone who's like you. And, and on another side, they say I opposite thought, attracts. So which I, is, I, is it I, opposite I attracting or is it finding someone so, similar? I don't know. I, I, I will tell you from experience. We're night and day, me and my ex. Night and day, I'm more calm. He's very like hype in your face. So mm. he balanced me out. And this is actually how my our kids are. My daughter is like me, calm, reserved. My son, <laughs> you met him. <laughs> Your two-year-old son. <laughs> I, two-year-old I son. Yeah. Okay. He's a lot. So right. it's funny that they actually came out that way, like the same thing, like their parents, and they came right. out that way. But this is my, what you're saying, that's what I assumed. We, Even though we, we were brought up differently, we had almost similar backgrounds. He came from humble beginnings, same thing with me. He was living in the village before, like he would go to visit his family, uh, his grandparents in the village and stuff like that. We kind of had those similarities. And the fact that we were both immigrants, the fact that we were in finance, both of us, and we literally started as tellers. We met in training. Wow. So, yeah. So with that, I assumed there's certain things that they don't even have to be explained. Like, you understand me that I'm here. We, we, we need to live uh, a certain type of lifestyle. We've been in mm. this financial industry for a long time. We need to have a certain type of lifestyle. And he wanted that lifestyle. But it takes work. So some people, mm. they want a certain lifestyle. Work. They want something easy. They want an easy way out. It doesn't work like that in life. And the assumption of me, um, so it's difficult for me. Actually, releasing an episode today, <laughs> you need to take a listen to it. I am struggling, okay, with this dating situation. Oh, man. It's, it, no, it's because at first I was like, oh, we have all these similarities. He understands me. And then now I don't know where to go from there because people say you have to have all of these whatever uh, similarities. <laughs> now I've added to podcasting. Okay, aside from having a full-time job, I have two kids, and then I'm a podcaster. I don't know. 
like who's going to be able to be able uh, for me to marry into all of this? Right. I just have to keep positive, I guess, yeah. in a way as to, you know, whoever is going to come, whatever God has for me, uh, God has for me. It's, I mean, it's the same thing you said about your partner, right? If you want a certain result, you, you need to be able to be willing to work for her. I guess it's the same thing in dating, right? If you want to be in a certain type of relationship and everything, you just got, need to be able to work for it. Um, I did pick out, I mean, not to belittle your experience. I know there are, there are a lot of dynamics that come in marriage. I've never been married, so I can never speak to that. Um, there, was, there were a lot of, you used the word assumptions a lot. And I guess I can tie that to like communication and things like that. Like, I guess For sure. being in a relationship, uh, there are assumptions on both sides. And, you know, communicating doesn't just mean talking, right? You're telling one person, think he or she understands. Like really drilling it down in the language they understand and making sure that they, like like I said, I never knew till I had that expertry experience that, oh, this is why. There's no way someone would have told me that in words that I could have understood. So sometimes it takes something else. But Hey, Nancy, like podcaster, mom, banker, Zambian woman, New Yorker, Brooklynite, Bronx, bread, Bro- Brooklyn, bread. how do they say New York? Um, Brooklyn born, Bronx or something, Boros. something like that. Yeah, the borrows and everything, but all around superwoman, Nancy, CC. Hey. Uh, we can, you know, take this conversation uh, on and on. But I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I know you have your own podcast as well. I'm, I'm going to give you an opportunity to plug that. Uh, but I just want to say first, uh, thank you so much for giving me time on your day off. <laughs> on your one day off, you're still working on the podcast. But uh, I appreciate you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It's so fun and it's an honor that you invited me. I appreciate you. Uh, Nosa, you've been so gracious to me. And um, through you, I've met so many people already. And uh, it's, it's just great. It's great to to know people like you and to have such a community that you've created. Um, I'm just honored. I'm all around humbled to be in, you know, in the, in the group with uh, all great creators. It's great. Most definitely. No, we're just trying to do what we can. And, and if listeners don't know what she's talking about, she's talking about Podbreak, uh, which is a group of African podcasters. And um, we're recording this in the middle of July. We were just coming back from Chicago where we had, you know, our first outing. And, you know, maybe we're planning towards Podbreak 2023. But yeah, uh, you want to talk about Concrete Pastures? Where can people find you? If they want to listen to this, so I, I'm sure it's going to be a solo episode that you're going to drop today with all the, the gems and fire and name calling. And <laughs> oh, my <laughs> Why, God. Why do they find you? <laughs> oh, how you find me, guys. Uh, Concrete Pastures is a platform. It's a space for immigrants and dreamers. I decided to create this platform to share our stories along, at, uh, along with others. This way we can deconstruct the view of being an immigrant anywhere in the world. Concrete pastures, we unlock the laughs, the joys, and the bravery that being an immigrant or a dreamer brings. So please check us out at concretepastures.com. We have all the content there. We have also a YouTube channel. We also have Facebook and Instagram. Check us out there. Um, follow us. And um, there's so many stories there you can be inspired of, uh, you can inspired by 
uh, including my own story. I share my story there today. Please check it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're going to be listening to that episode. <laughs> and in case listen, you guys listen, I'm in to the hard July 18th. In... Go to the episode on Concrete Passions posted on July 18th. <laughs> I'm in the hot seat. I'm about to post it after this. Um, oh, I'm man. in the hot seat. So it's the same thing. Like when you're talking to someone, uh, I was talking to my sister, Muma. She put me in the hot seat about dating. So that's why I was focusing on this dating situation. I am new to this space. So guys, have fun. At my expense, okay? <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you so much. And, and Nancy does podcasting so well. Like, to be honest, like, if you listen to her episode, she has the intro. She has, like, she explains the summary. Like, she has the background. I'm like, man, like, I ain't I do all that. <laughs> like, I'm just putting all my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Listen, like, we all have our style. We all oh, have our style. Man. And yeah. I, I love your style too. Um, the thing is, I pick up from everybody else what they're doing. Like we, our group, Pat Break, is it's so many um, people doing different things. And I listen to each person's podcast and I can pick out, I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Maybe I can do that, change it up and make it Nancy. I'll change it up, maybe, you know. So it's, I think having a diverse group like the way we have it is perfect. Even though yeah. we are all yeah. Africans and all yeah. different countries. I, yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. We should have all of the 54 countries, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. hey, we never know, you know, where, where we really have plans for recruiting more podcasters this year. So hopefully we can get more and more people. But yeah, you guys can check out podbreak.org um, if you're interested in joining, if you're an African podcaster living in diaspora. I think we're about 20, 21 podcasts right now. Uh, we're growing every day. So check us out. Um, in the meantime, also it's been Culture Class Podcast. Uh, check us out as well, cultureclasspodcast.com. Follow us on social media and send us an email. Uh, if you want us to connect you with Nancy, uh, if you, you want her to send you her six-page PDF or what she requires in a man, let us know who we'll forward that information to her. You're wrong. You are so bad. Six-page letter. That's a good man, okay? Be good. Oh, be kind. Be loving. God-fearing. That's it. No six-page. Okay, okay. So be that's a human six being. Lines, okay. not six page. Okay. Yes. Be a human being. Okay? Be a human... <laughs> Don't be an animal. <laughs> there are some humans that act like animals. Okay. Let's I, just agree. Be I agree. I agree. Okay. Just be a human being. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Hey, a lot of Nigerians listen to this podcast. So hopefully you get the right ones. Oh but... Lord. <laughs> I beg, uh, I beg. Oh, man. Did you just say I beg? Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I see you. Okay. Speaking that pigeon. Uh, well, oh, I do. To... I do. That's like my favorite word. I say. I beg, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, my own favorite word is uyo, uyo Monday. All right. We'll use that. We'll see how we can get an opportunity to use that in Colorado somewhere by some miracle. But uh, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Nancy, again, for coming on the podcast uh, to our listeners. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Until next time, you guys be well. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. 
It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming. Born and raised.